Welcome to SolveCast, where we provide you short, detailed answers to solve questions that matter to you most. I'm Russ, and today we are talking about communications, specifically the effort and time we invest in communicating. Are we spending too much time? Are we spending too little? Okay, to help solve this, I'm talking with Devina Stanley. Tell us a little about what you do. Well, I help experts communicate complex ideas, and if I were to abbreviate that, I'd say I help experts get to the point. Nice. <laughs> I like that. And I think we can all use a little of that, especially these days. I, in prepping for this interview, the first thing that came to mind was my first office job. I would go and I would print out memos, making like 50 copies or so, and placing them into physical inboxes. We get maybe five memos a week back then because it was so much work to have to type everything up and you know print it out and all that. Fast forward to now. I get five or so emails per minute with hundreds of emails, Slack messages, texts, all of this coming at us every day. It can be pretty overwhelming. Has technology made us over communicators? It's actually, yes, it has, which is good in some ways, but it's also, I think, made us sloppy communicators because what it's done is removed the barriers that slowed us down. So like you, I remember the days with printing out and we were talking before about typewriters even. I remember mm -hmm. typing in triplicate. <laughs> and, you know, the, the thought of making an error when I was typing was just awful because, you know, the thought of fixing the errors and repaginating and retyping whole pages was just overwhelming. So I think the very fact that we can just send information out stops us thinking. And that's a real problem. It creates all sorts of clutter, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you go through emails and you see maybe half of them <laughs> you know, are something that I need to know about. Maybe, mm, if, if maybe. that much. Mm, yeah. Mm. Okay. So what are some of the general tips on, on maybe how we judge the importance and therefore the amount of time that we should devote to the communications that we send? Okay, no, that's, that's a great question. So I think there are two dimensions that I like to encourage people to think about. Firstly is how many people are you sending this email to? Think about email or any sort of communication, really. How many people are you communicating to? And if you're going more than, a, let's say, just pick an arbitrary number and say 10, then you okay. think, okay, well, what does that mean? If I send something out, even if it's reasonably short, like 100 words, let's say, not huge, and you send it out, and it's hard to read, that's 10 people, 20 people, 100 people who are all going to spend an extra few minutes individually trying to understand, decide, actually, first of all, if they're actually going to open your email, then look at it, decide if they're going to read it or not, and then spend some time trying to understand it. And your hope is that they arrive at the conclusion you want them to arrive at. Now, if they don't, then, of course, there's the cost of the mistakes, the inaction mm -hmm. or the wrong action. So you've got a whole lot of productivity drag on an organization that I think people just don't think about. They, they're so focused on getting that email out quickly. They're not thinking about the time it takes to start from when it start, you start writing to actually when you get the desired outcome. If you like, from idea to impact, they're thinking from idea to send. And I think mm. it's, it's the wrong metric. So I think that's, that's one um, dimension. The other dimension is the importance of the communication. I think there are two ways of thinking about that. Firstly, the seniority of the audience. 
So that could be, you know, if, if you're sending something to somebody very senior in your organization or externally, somebody who matters a lot to your organization, maybe a really big customer or something like that, or it could be just the impact of the message, right? Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, if we don't change direction on this project straight away, we're going to end up in a world of trouble. You know, it's really important that people understand this. So you think of, you know, the message and also the audience when you're thinking about importance. So I think, you know, if you're just sending it to one person, but it's a really important message and or the audience is really elevated in your hierarchy, then sweat it, spend some time on it, <laughs> right. you know? And if right. it's to a lot of people, even if it's really small, sweat. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. So I yeah, think you know, I, both of those things. I like your idea of sort of flipping it and not thinking about just the time it's going to take me to write this email. Cause there's been many times where I sit there and I'm like, Oh, I got to delay sending this because I've got to spend some time writing this and that's, you know, going to be my morning. I don't necessarily think always about the cost of questions or the cost of project rework or, you know, potential costs of maybe even like, you know, legal costs or something. If I send something that, you know, could cause issues. I I don't know if that's what we all think about. I like the idea of flipping that. It does. It it speaks to productivity, doesn't it? It speaks to results or impact Mm -hmm. rather than just activity. You know, right. and I think there's something with this speed of business and speed of working where we really need to be thinking a whole lot more before we send anything out. And, you know, preparing for meetings, you know, arrive on mm-hmm. time and think first, okay, what are the key things that I need to get across today? Anticipate the key questions about your project or the thing that you're working on and have answers ready so you can mm-hmm. actually be clear you're not workshopping and brainstorming with everybody when you've got 10 or 20 people in the room you know be right. be concise do that before you get into the room so that you can be precise unless of course the explicit purpose is to brainstorm together when it's right. you know a different right. a different thing but mm-hmm. if you're in a project update or a, you know steering committee or any of those sorts of situations you know be organized Take the time in advance and save everybody else the time. Right. So you, you mentioned, okay, so we've talked about meetings now. We talked about email. Let's talk about methods of communication. Mm-hmm. Like, should this be an email? Would a phone call be better? Would a meeting be better? What should the thinking be around deciding the method of communication? Oh, that's an interesting one. I guess what, the, the, again, the, the way I'd think about that is what's the fastest way to get the right thing done? And so if we're thinking about the people involved in the decision or the action, you know, is it really, if is it important to involve other people in that or can it just be dealt with with one person? If it's just one person, then, you know, a phone call is always better than an email, isn't it? If you can, right? right. right? Time zones make that really hard. But mm. I think the risk with email and Slack messages is we get into these terribly long chains that right. then, and I, I, my clients will send them to me and I look at them and think, oh my gosh, you know, I have no idea what <laughs> is being said here. None. And so yeah. they'll say, oh, can you help there. me work out how to deal with that at the end of this chain? And I was like, well, I think you need to talk to me first so I can actually understand it. So then we can work out what to say because, you know, it, it's the, the email at the start of the chain was just missed the point. So you end up with this great, great loop. So I don't know that I have a magic formula for that, but I think if you can deal with it one-on-one or with a couple of people verbally, then do, because it's more human 
and you're more likely to be able to be responsive and, and deal with the issues. If you've got a big group, then it's more likely that you need to do it you know, formally in email or a paper or something like that. In that too, I, I think that kind of understanding the person that you're communicating with mm-hmm. and kind of how they are, right? Because like, for instance, yeah. tone, you know, tone can be very difficult to pick up in email. You know, when you add body language or that that little smile somebody gets when they're, you know, maybe being a little sarcastic or joking around, you can't pick that up. So maybe understanding the person as well that you're working with. Absolutely. No, I think that that's really important. So in in our program, we talk a lot about understanding style and we use something called the work styles framework to do that. And it's by somebody called um, Dorothy Bolton. So it's a useful tool that's used quite widely and it breaks people into categories. And my, my first challenge for people is to understand yourself. And when you understand yourself, then it's so much easier to understand other people and adjust accordingly to know where you're coming from. And and we started to really work with this when we're working with lawyers. And so we taught, mm. I don't know, 1,500 lawyers over a couple of years how to, you know, communicate complex ideas, how to think and how to get their advice across in 30 seconds. And so we were doing that a couple of days a week and then we'd be working with other clients on other days. And we realised that the, the lawyers inside the law firm were so accustomed to communicating with each other that they would communicate as though they were everyone was of an analytical mindset, uh-huh. you know, very very gotcha. focused on precision and seeing all of the the logic behind the reasoning and and so on and building up towards the conclusion, a bit like they would at law school. They're taught specifically how to do that, whereas their clients were often very different. They'd be and they'd not only be different background but different style of person, and they'd say, "Look, come on, just tell me the answer. You know, give it to me really quickly." And gosh, if they were salespeople, the, the difference was just extraordinary. And so we started to look at this styles stuff because we could see these differences and realize that we needed to teach very differently according mm-hmm. to the groups that we were with. And we're doing that intuitively, but understanding that difference was enormously helpful. So, you know, is, is it that you, if you're dealing with a group, I think this is where it becomes most tricky to think about right. how do you handle uh, the, styles when you've got exactly like where I was 10 go. people right. in the right. room. You know, what do you yeah. do? Well, firstly, you communicate in such a way that it's polite, it gets to the point really quickly, and you provide pre-reading. So what that does is providing pre-reading allows the analytic, analytical types to actually read and think before they get to the meeting. And they, they want to do that more than some other types. The other types might skim it, so you've got to make it skimmable, but, oh, you know, provide okay. it. And then uh, secondly, then, well, now I've lost my train of thought, provide pre-reading, be polite, of course, and be really to the point in in however Mm -hmm. you're communicating because, you know, your expressive and driver styles will want to be really quick. They want it to be fast. They want it to be new. They want it to be clear. They want to engage in the ideas, particularly if they're more expressive. If they're a driver, they just want to get the thing done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then you've got another style called amiable, which is all about, you know, consensus and, and looking at the team. So they'll be much more accommodating of the style that's chosen. Right. So if you understand where you sit, you know, if you're, let's say, an analytical and then communicating with an expressive, it just helps to understand that. If you're an amiable who likes to talk and build relationships first, as opposed to a driver who likes to get the work done first and then build the friendships, if you understand that as the amiable, you may not be offended by the driver getting to the point and really moving forward quickly, just Mm -hmm. understanding that's just the way they are. 
equally, if you're a driver, you might think, okay, I'm just going to allow them a moment or two to chat about the weekend or build some rapport. I understand they need to do that. Then I know right. they'll move quickly. It's not that they're being <laughs> slow. It's just that that's important for them. That's how they so, work. That's, yeah. yeah. And I think this sort of affects tone of language as well. You know, drivers can be accused of being a bit too blunt, mm-hmm. you know, amiable, a bit too soft, too many words, you know, analytical, perhaps a bit too precise and long-winded because they're really trying to, you know, cross off every T and dot every I, or an expressive might not give enough detail. So, right. you know, there's all sorts of different, you know, stylistic, I guess, indicators with, mm-hmm. with the way we communicate. Thinking about those different, we'll just say personality types, I guess. Uh, yeah. Looking at those, I would assume that some of those are very compatible and some are very like not compatible. It's kind of interesting <laughs> to think about that. You know, when when in business, when either hiring or you know finding new people, you you do people. I guess do certain personality types attract other certain attract uh, personality types and kind of pull those people into their organization. They do, they do, and it can be a blessing and a curse because if you have, let's say, let's say everybody in the team is a driver because the boss is a driver and likes hiring people like them, right? Mm-hmm. So what that means then is that there's you know great velocity, there's speed, but there's a risk that we're doing the same thing again and again. We're not looking for new ideas, maybe right. sufficiently, or maybe we're not thinking enough. We're not being challenged enough. And maybe maybe we're not accommodating the team enough. We're just pushing ahead at all costs. Mm-hmm. So I like to encourage people to have a balanced team and to be really conscious of the benefits of being different. And it's tricky when you have, let's say you've got a team of 10 and you've got eight drivers. I'm just picking any style. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Eight drivers. Mm-hmm. And you've got one analytical and one expressive. Those two people will find it really hard to be themselves and to add value. Right. Because they're different and their way of doing things is different. And, you know, the critical mass is going in a different direction and they're the outsider. It's really hard to be an outsider mm-hmm. to that degree. So I think if that's the case, it's really an impost on the leader to be very articulate about the benefits of difference. And, and you know, you know, okay, we need to just stop a minute and listen to Mary because Mary's got some really good questions. I know she always does. We just need to listen and, and take time to make sure we're not heading off in the wrong direction. Or, you know, Fred's really conscious of it, always got the team in mind. We need to be really make sure that we allow time to just, you know, allow Fred to contribute. So being very sort of clear, I guess, and, and encouraging about those differences is really helpful. Otherwise, you can really limit yourself Right. Well, I, I would yeah. think in a team built out around that, where you have kind of a well-rounded team of different personality mm-hmm. types, mm-hmm. you're going to probably have better communication because you're forced to give clarity to all of these different types of personalities. Yes. Yes. And I yeah. think when forming project teams, people often look at skills, you know, and they might mm-hmm. think, oh, do I like that person? Do I feel like I can work with that person? And they think, do they have the right skills? And that's, you know, obviously a really important factor. I think those other things can really round out the team and and add such value that um, it's just important to think about them. Nice, I I, I like that. And I, I, you know, thinking about personality types, thinking about communications, and I just said the word clarity because I, I think that that really is kind of the the lead here or the 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 big piece of advice is to be as clear as possible in those communications and think about those different 
personality types. Mm. Now, you've actually, you've got a book about this and you also have a program, the Clarity First program. Can you tell us about those? Sure, absolutely. So the book is based on where my colleague and I have been working in this space now for between us more than 50 years, which is a bit scary. So what we (laughs) realized was that building on the learning we had when we were at McKinsey as as communication specialists, building on that, there were some patterns that we saw in people's communication. And so what we did was compile our seven most commonly used patterns. We initially thought perhaps we had our own personal favorites. And so we Mm -hmm. thought we'd test with each other and just see whether there were common themes or whether we just had our own personal biases. And we we realized that there were actually common themes in the structure of the communication that we were working with. So we codified those and put those in a book that we called the So What Strategy. So that's that's what the book's all about. It's deliberately short. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we found a lot of our clients would get to the end of a meeting and they would have presented to, you know, an important group of people and then somebody would turn around and go, so what was that that all about? Or (laughs) what was the so what? What was the thing you really wanted to say there? And they think, oh, I've just spoken for 35 minutes and they don't understand what happened you know <laughs> right, so right. that was you know I, we thought a, nice. a good hook for the for the title so underpinning all of that there's a methodology that we use and it's called structured thinking and so we use that inside the clarity first program that's the methodology that i teach and i offer an opportunity for people if all of my clients are really busy so it's a flexible self-directed learning pathway with me there to support them regularly every month. So I do a couple of live uh, workshops every month and I schedule them to suit any time zone. And um, then people are working through the program at their own pace and we get together and collaborate and build communication and review communication and and help each other in those those working sessions. So that's what the Clarity First program is all about. That's awesome. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, you know, I think we all need to be better communicators. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I think that that would be a great thing. I, I, at least when I when I check my inbox, I, I think that. <laughs> well, all right, to hear we always improving, all of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To hear about more topics like this, please subscribe to Solvecast on whichever platform you're watching or listening on right now. Visit solvecast.com. I'm Russ, and I thank you for joining us today.